Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Today, I am going to do a standalone. We've come out of a three-part series on the plan of God, and I would encourage you, if, if, uh, if you need that, to be spoken over your life. And that's kind of an area that you're in search of to check out the podcast the last three weeks on, on the plans of God. But today, I'm just going to do a, a standalone, and believe it or not, we're going into the Thanksgiving season. And then we're going to hit just a couple of weeks of December, and then it will be talking about uh, candlelight services very, very quick. So um, we're going to have a, a great candlelight uh, this year for you, and uh, I hope that uh, you would make plans to be with us. Um, today, I am going to talk about the topic of how to get what you really want. And you're going to hear that word from me a lot this morning, want. I'm going to say it probably 500 times this morning. But uh, being uh, people who have wants kind of built in, it comes from an appetite. And the one thing that uh, I've taught you for a long time now is that appetites always want, want more, no matter what it is. Uh, no matter what your appetite is, it's going to want more. And so you got to have a discipline for it. But I'm going to talk today about what do you want And to answer this, as the question implies, it is typically a uh, a a a what like like an object, something that's that's physical, and especially the the younger you are, when you say what do you want, um, it could be a piece of clothing, it could be a new car, it could be for some of you a new home, it could be a new job, it could be a new friend, it could be a lot of diff- different things, but it tends to be something that we can point to and say, that's what I want. And uh, we, could, we could spell that out. We've had conversations that are just fun over our lives when you've gathered with friends or a life group or had coffee and you say, you know, if you had, you know, if you could make just a couple of wishes, what is it that, that would change your life? Forever, and we talk about the wants in our, our lives. So, I, I know growing up, it was a, a tradition for us to go to my grandmother's house on Christmas Eve, and we'd all pile in there, all the siblings and and uh, all the cousins and nephews, and everybody would just pile in, and uh, we would Christmas morning would just be crazy, and uh, everything was centered around a what. You know, I, I want to know what I'm going to get. And my uncle, he always had the same what. He always got one pair of jeans and some tube socks. And it was the most boring what to me that I had ever seen. And uh, But he was so happy to get it. He was like, tube socks and a pair of jeans every single year. And I was like, man, you know, I mean, you, you can almost prophesy what you're going to get next year. It's going to be tube socks and a pair of jeans. But he loved that particular what. And so no matter what season of life you're in, there's always something we want. And to be fair, it's, it's a tricky question um, to ask you what you want. And to prove that, um, maybe when I asked what, what you want, there was an answer that you did not give, but is true of, of us, especially at the right moment or the right time. And that is that one of the things you want is your way, okay? And so whether we voice this out or not, 
Um, we know that one of the things that we would really like to see happen would be our way, whether it's a political agenda shifts, um, whether it's control over a, a certain person. But what most of us have learned or you are trying to persuade your children to learn is that as long as you insist on having it your way, you will not get what you want. And truthfully, when we get our way, we often get in our way. Sometimes the wants that we have are dangerous, they're unhealthy, they're revengeful, they have spite attached to them, they have high levels of emotional reaction attached to them, and we say, this is something I want and it's my, my way, and sometimes we bend that. And each of us have a story about getting what we wanted, and it resulted in us not getting what we wanted. Um, you sort of got in the way by having your way. You bulldozed your way through. You bribed your way through. You body slammed your way through. You got loud enough or mad enough or cursed enough that people finally got out of your way and just let you have whatever it was that you wanted. The other tricky part about this question is we want to do what we want to do. So we're used to a life with certain freedoms, uh, respectfully, but we, we know that if we can dream it up and we can develop the right strategy, maybe even throw some money at it, have the right things unfold, then we're going to be able to do what we want to do. And that gives us a sense of power. It gives us a sense of control. And again, some of that can be dangerous. Um, the lesson we've learned there is if we always do what we want to do, we sometimes end up where we do not want to be. So again, that freedom, when it lacks responsibility, lands us in a situation that we're not comfortable with. So we go, man, I thought I wanted this, but maybe I really don't. I thought I wanted to be here, but maybe I really don't now. I have uh, one child, and we had a phase once, and I'm sure you've had this phase with your own children, but Riley would ask after everything that she was asked to do, she would say, do I have to? And it's like, no, I just, I just thought I'd you know, throw it out there and see what you thought, get your feedback. But she would say it about everything. Riley, you need to clean, clean your room. Do I have to? Riley, it's, it's time for a shower. Do I have to? Riley, you remember the, the, the chicken you took to your room like three days ago? Did that ever make it down? Back downstairs, you should probably go and get that. Do I have to? Everything was followed with this, do I have to? And this really challenged because honestly, for me, this is my own parenting, but when she got to be about 12, I didn't want to make her do anything. Like I didn't want to physically like go, you are going to go upstairs right now. I wanted more of this maturity. And I know, I know, I said 12, I'm asking for too much. But what I wanted was a... Yes, sir, I will do that because the Lord has asked me to honor my parents. 
So I'm off to clean the room. That's where you'll find me. That's what I wanted. I didn't get that ever. Still don't. Now she's driving. Still don't get it. So no, nobody wants to make anybody do anything, and you get past this age of being physically made to do something, um, but you get to the age where if you won't do it, I can't make you do it, but I can keep you from doing things. That's what prison is for. Okay? So... You cannot make someone do anything, but you can stop them from doing things. So prison is for people who always want their way, want to do what they want to do. And since society can't control them, they stop them from doing something, whatever that might be. The point is, if you only want your way, you will eventually limit your options and not expand them. Because life becomes extremely focused just upon your goals and your wants and your mission in life and your family and, 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 and so on. And so here, here's another tricky side to this question about what do you want, is we're designed to want perpetual pleasure. Like we just want to be appealed to. And this plays out in everything from from you going to a restaurant, you want great food, you want great service, you want great prices, uh, your shopping experiences, and it even bleeds into your church experience. You want to be served. You want your church to have great programming. Um, you want your church to have a certain feel. Um, you, you want your church to have a certain culture, and all that is revolving around preference. And so we, we want perpetual pleasure. And here's the challenge, and everybody knows this about pleasure, is pleasure is addictive. It's like once you're given it, you just want more of it. You keep going back to it because it was pleasurable. So if it was great food and great service and great prices... That could become your favorite restaurant. If your church meets all those check boxes, well, that just became your favorite church. And it's centered around pleasure. It's what I want. But watch, watch this. Some people enjoy a hobby, and the hobby can be good, but too much of it can rob your family of time. Some people can enjoy Shopping, it's a pleasurable thing. But when it's out of balance, it can land you in some financial difficulty. So even too much of something pleasurable can be unhealthy for you. So when we ask ourselves, what do I want and what do I want in life and what do I want out of my marriage and what do I want out of my church and what do I want out of my, my career, what do I want? And maybe you're even that person, you get out a pen and a piece of paper and you write down, you say, this is what I want. You start a dream board and you, you write it and you got circles and arrows and boxes and you're connecting things and it's a beautiful masterpiece of, of your chaotic mind kind of organized in one, one image. You go, that, that is what I want. If I could just capture that, get a plan for that, then that's exactly what I'm wanting. But if we're not careful, what's originally planned as a pastime can become a pathway of something that controls us. 
And then we'll wish that we've never gotten the thing we wanted because we feel trapped in what was meant to be pleasurable. I talked to a gentleman here in town. It's been a, a couple of years down. His, his dream car was my dream car. He wanted this, this Porsche 911. And he went and bought it. Okay, It's a difference between being an engineer and a pastor. So he buys it. That was funny. We all lighten up. Good boy. And so he buys this beautiful car, and then he, I, I noticed that he's selling it, and I'm talking to him about it. I'm like, why did you sell it? He's like, man, I got into this thing. And he was like, I, I love it. I, I, I Occasionally, you know, my wife and I will drive to Branson, or we'll do something. We'll drive to Fayetteville, and, we'll, and that's it. And the rest of the time, all I'm doing is shining it. He's like, I've spent, you know, so much money on just waxing this thing. And he said, and then, you know, to have the oil change in this car, man, he was like, and then you, Kevin, do you know what that one tire cost right there? I'm like, no, I'm a pastor. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what that costs. He's, so he tells me, you know, it's crazy amount of thing. And he's like, I, I just got to get rid of this thing. I thought I wanted, thought I loved it, thought I loved it. But, but the end result is, man, I got it. And now I need to off this thing. And, you know, something clicked in my, in my communication mind because I'm always looking for examples to talk about. And I thought, man, how many times have I done that? Not, not with a Porsche, but with something that I got it. And I thought, man, this is great. And I want it. And then, and then, you know, I'm so busy guarding it that I, I never use it and, or it got to be too expensive or it was more than I bargained for. And you end up going, I got to get rid of this thing. You know, I thought I wanted it, but I don't, I got to get it out of here. Another big trick to this question, I, I, I want it or what, what do I want is I want it now. And this is probably a cultural thing, a social thing. We, we know what it means in this country to want something now and be able to have it now. If you don't believe that, you've never seen a Taco Bell commercial at 1 o'clock in the morning. And you go, you know what sounds good right now? A Mexican pizza. And so you get up and you throw your pajamas on and looking terrible, you make your way down right here at BB Caps to Taco Bell where they greet you with a Mexican pizza that looks exactly like it does on the TV. And you eat one or two, and you think, man, I, I thought I wanted that now. And at 3 a.m., oh, this little thing called consequences. It's a di different message. We'll talk about that another Sunday. What we want now, here, here's, here's the big trick, and this is where I'm going to get in, into Scripture. I've set this up today for this, but what we want now is not always what we want later. And we did it because we're, we're, we're growing and we're developing and we're becoming more like Christ. And so as, as you're changing physically and spiritually and emotionally and relationally and you're growing and you're, 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 you're becoming the person that you really want to be, you look at the things you have and what you've surrounded your life with and you go, I don't really want this anymore. This is not... You know, what I want right now is not going to be what I want later. And this is all the more reason for us to get counsel and wisdom and pray and have the plan of God because God knows where you're headed. And God knows that what you want later, you want to be able to invest in that right now. And so that those things are always uh, in, in collaboration with each other. But what we want now is not always what we want later. Let me give you a biblical example. 
So what, what we want can often end up in the way of what we need later. And there's this terrible and tragic story found in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And it's the story of Tamar. And Tamar is one of the king's daughters. And she's beautiful. And she's kind. And she's gentle-spirited. And this terrible thing that happens to her, let me just give you a backstory. Tamar and Absalom are full siblings, okay? So David and the same wife have Tamar and Absalom. But then there's this guy named Amnon, and he's a half-brother. So David's the father, and another of David's wives is the mother of Amnon. And they're all kind of going through this. The Bible gives us just an inkling of how they're kind of all getting kind of spoiled, and the prophet had told David, listen, the sword is not going to depart from your house, and we're, as his kids get older, we're seeing that. They're kind of, they've lost touch with God and righteousness and ethics and respect for their father and, and so on. They're all kind of kind of putting their thumb in, in, in the pie that my daddy is the king, and, and they're test driving that and seeing what they can get away with. And Amnon, the half-brother to Tamar, sees her and wants her and so he gets this, he gets one of his buddies and they formulate this plot that he's going to act like he's sick and then lean into the gentleness of Tamar and her kindness and say, have Tamar make me a meal and then she'll come into me and then he raped her. And, but what is ironic about this or even more sad is that the Bible tells her, tells us that in the end, he hated her more than he ever loved her. It's like, I thought I wanted you, and so I bulldozed this situation, and I leveraged the fact that I'm the king's son, and I got what I wanted, and then I did some things that I should have never done, and I've ruined your life, and I've got myself all in this. My own brother wants to kill me. And, and so this is terrible. You know, I hate this. I hate you. And this should have never happened. And that statement, I hate you more than I ever loved you, is so relevant to us. Because it begs this question of going, how many times have we done this ourselves or maybe you're even here this morning and this is real life for you, that you're going through something right now that you hate more than you ever loved, and it's a terrible place to be. It is full of tension and sadness and angst and all kinds of negative emotions, and, and you just say, man, I hate it, I hate I ever did this, I hate I ever thought it, I hate I ever met them, I hate I ever went, went to work there, I hate I ever had that conversation, and so now what I thought I wanted, man, I, later in my life, I hate it. Could be a month, could be five years, could be 10 years, but I know now that if I could go back, there was, a, there, there was a time machine. And I want you to think about your regrets in life. Because isn't it true that all of those regrets started with, I want? Like, uh, I want that to play out this certain way, and I want that, and I want to be this, and I want 
them and I want, I, I just, I want, and I'm going to put my hands in it and my intellect in it and I'm going to make it happen. And I'm going to do what I talked about last week, crow, crowbarring. You know, if it's not God's plan, that's okay. He'll get involved later, but I'm going to get in this thing. However, I've got to get in it and I'm going to make this happen because I want what I want and I want it now. But regrets always end with, I want to go back and not get what I wanted. I want you to think about that. And I, I, I love it when Christians go, oh no, there's nothing I would change, really? I mean, seriously, because I know I would. Oh no, it was all the Lord's plan, and I, was it? Because there's some things back there. This is why David said, you know, I'm so thankful that mercy follows me all the days of my life because there's things back here that require it. I don't, I, I wish I had not wa wanted what I wanted. So I'd like to go back in time and not say I do. Or I'd like to go back in time and not quit. I'd like to go back in time and never start a friendship with them. If I knew the way that this, this was going to hurt or end or cut me or betray me, I would have never been friends with them. I want to go, go back and undo even meeting them. I'd like to go back in time and break up with them a month earlier. I'd like to go back in time and never have that first Twinkie. It was a low point for me when I was intravenously using Twinkie cream. <laughs> Regret is the elimination of options because you can't go back and not want what you wanted. Again, this is why it's, it's got to be very wise uh, for, for us to go to the Father and go, what is it that I really want? Not that I could buy or crowbar or have a moment of pleasure or get some kind of increase, have some release of endorphins. But what do, what do I really want? And this is, a, this is a big spiritual question. If you read through these incredible stories in Scripture, you'll find that a lot of them are having to circle back and deal with the fact that they wanted something they didn't really want, and now they're repenting. Or they're saying, Father, help me, or get me out of this, or rescue this. The Psalms are full of these things of David going, my enemies have surrounded me. I'm overwhelmed. I am, I'm in deep water, he says. It's Because he wanted something. So asking what do you want is tricky. So let's recap for a moment. If we always get our way, we lose our way. If we always do what we want to do, we end up where we don't want to be. And if we always get what we want now, we may not get what we want later. So let's drill down to this for just a moment. There's a book written by James, and James is the brother of Jesus. And in his book, he starts with a question that's different from what do you want. But he says this, if you're a note taker, James chapter 4 and verse 1. Watch this. This is powerful. What causes fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
He's asking, what's the origin? And his opinion is, they come from what you want. He's saying, why, why are you fighting? Why are you a church that can't get along? Why are you a family that can't get along? Why are brothers against brothers? He said, is it not because you've got desires that are battling within you? James is saying that inside of you and inside of me is a war of wants. And that war spills out and onto the lives of the people that we live life with. Married people and parents, do you know what your biggest relational want is? Here it is. This may sting a little bit. You want your spouse and you want your children to act a certain way or to behave a certain way or to treat you a certain way. Do you know what churches have wanted for a long time? For you to believe a certain way. And this is why we've seen marriages end and churches split because there's a war of wants. And James is saying, this is why you're fighting. This is why. You're quarreling. James 4 and 2, he says this. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, you and I know that James is writing to Christians, so him saying, so you kill, is a communication technique called hyperbole. Or as I got embarrassed really quick at my first presentation in seminary, I called it hyperbole. <laughs> I was also on a date one time and ordered the Mindstrone soup. <laughs> we learn. Okay, we learn. I'll take the Mindstrone. <laughs> so he's trying to get our attention with this word, so we kill. Okay? But, but he's not too far off, okay? Because the truth is, we, we do kill with looks, with words, with attitudes, our behavior. I'm going to let somebody know I'm not happy because I got a want and you're not willing to accommodate it. But the truth is, most of us know what we really want because we are we don't know what we really want because we are so distracted by these things that we don't want. More importantly, here's, here's the hard truth. No one can figure this out for you. I can't. Your counselor can't. Now, people can help guide you and navigate it, but the epiphany, the eureka moment has to come from you. You've got to figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, you won't figure it out. And this is part of, of, of our problem because when we don't discover what we really want, then we just decide to want what somebody else wants. So if somebody else got something and we're attracted to it, then I guess we just want that too. And culturally, we're sick with this. We, we've even come up with a slogan for it, keeping up with the Joneses. And so we look over at the Joneses and we see what they drive and where they live and how they dress and how they act. And we say, since I truly, in the core of me, do not know what I want, I'm just going to want what they want and I'm going to spend decades 
trying to get it. I'm going to catch up and try to keep up. And so when they sell it, I'll sell it. When they trade, I'll trade. And when they upscale, I'll, I'll upscale. And, and so on and so on. And, and we fall into this trap of going, I don't really know what I want, so I'm just going to look around me and I'm going to see what you want and I'm going to piggyback your wants. But what we really want lurks in a realm that we rarely explore. Okay, now I'm running out of time quick, so let me, let's get to the meat of this. James 4.2, he says this, you do not have, for the sake of the text, we'll say what, what you want. You do not have what you want because you do not ask God. And a lot of times we think, if I ask God, God's going to say No. Or I've asked God and God doesn't answer. So we say, man, you know, that's, that's not true because I asked God once for a new car and I didn't get it. And all I wanted was that brand new Cadillac Escalade with a little bit of bow on top. You know, the kind that took like three cows to put all the leather in it. That's, that's, all, that's all I wanted. I didn't get it, but I asked. It's what I wanted. But watch, James goes on in verse 3. He says, when you ask, you're not receiving because you ask with wrong motive. That you may spend what you get on your perpetual pleasure. So James, and this is so great because you got to keep in mind, this story is over 2,000 years old. And he's addressing people saying, you're always asking for the wrong stuff. You're, you're not... You're not getting what, what you want because you're not asking for what you really want. You're just asking for stuff that comes from the pleasure center of your brain. James is saying that God is not going to answer you because you're still in this endless cycle of asking what, you're want, what, what you want so that you can dial down that inner conflict of getting what you want. So let me, let me start to pull the parachute on this message. Let me make, make a statement. Here it is. God wants more for you. He wants more for you. But not in the way you think. Say, Kevin, man, you're sure not preaching prosperity this morning. No. And I don't preach poverty either. But I do preach provision. God provides. He gives what, what, what we need when we need it. And I believe that God wants more for you. And some of you today, you're stuck in this thing where you believe God only wants more from you. So he comes up with these Terrible statements. Do you know that the number one reason people do not go to church is because they have a philosophy that the church just wants their money? That's the number one reason why people are de-churched right now. I'm not talking about unchurched. I'm talking about de-churched. People just like you that stopped going because they said, my community of faith was only interested in money. And whether it's true or false, we don't know that. But I'm saying that, that, that the, the principle is out there for us to latch on to that just says, God just wants more from me. 
or some pastor or some, some church, and I'd rather just stay at home and read the Bible myself and not be in biblical community because all they do is want. They want me to serve. They want me to give. They want me to plug in. They want me to connect. They want me to go to a life group. They, wanna, they want this. They want, 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 and somehow that computes up here as God just wants more from me, but God wants more for you. I was scared to death when I started feeling uh, this unquenchable desire to serve the local church because I honestly thought I was going to end up being a missionary. And I, I told the Lord, I don't want to be a missionary. And then everybody I talked to is like, yeah, if, you, if you don't, there's a giant well out there somewhere in your life and it's going to swallow you whole. And I was like, great, that makes me want to serve the Lord. That's great, thanks. And I would pray about it. It, it was so terrible that I, I, would, I would just go to the altar constantly and pray before the Lord and say, God, please, I do not want to be a missionary. And I bartered with him. And I said, God, I will, I will send money there. I will raise money. I'll send friends there. I'll send Robbie there. But I don't want to go be a long-term missionary. Some of us think, you know, man, if I give God all of it, then I'm going to have to step out of this, and man, he's going to send me, make me do stuff, and he just, he wants more from me. So he, here's, here's, here's the answer in a nutshell, and then I'm going to pray over you. God is trying to get us to move away from what we want and get us to ask and pray for what has value. Like eternal value. God, what, what, what I really want is to be an instrument. New cars are nice. And if you drive a Cadillac Escalade that's three cows, I'd, it's great. You should call me and ask me to come test drive it or something. I'm not knocking those things. I want you to have the best of the best of the best. There's nothing wrong with you having wealth but I want you to seek value. And what James is trying to communicate is we're missing it and we're fighting over it. And there's a level that we haven't tapped into because what, what we should be asking, and I love the word that he uses in King James. He says, you have not because you ask not. And he goes on to say, because you ask amiss. He's saying this, you're praying and you're completely missing the target just to say, God, give my life value. Give my family value. Take my gifts and give it value. Take my relationships and let them be life-giving. Give it value. Take my church. Give it value. Give it influence. Because you'll never get what you really want until you discover what you really value. And even if you get what you want, loses its luster fast when you don't really have the value behind it. So as Christ followers, we need to take it a step further because we understand that it's not what we, we uh, value the most, but what is most valuable, which is Jesus Christ and our life in Him. And so if you're here this morning and you're, and you're miserable and you got your life and all the wrong stuff and you're wanting to build a time machine and go back and unwant something, 
The truth is, you're right here in this church this morning and very present. And the thing that you need to do right now is to say, God, whatever is back there, man, mercy, grace, thank you that you love me enough to help it, to soothe it. Anybody that I hurt or that I lied to or that I stepped on to get ahead in somewhere in life. But God, now what I really want is value. And I want my life to be consumed by Jesus Christ and my life in Him. That's what I really want.